armed with your stories before you go in there. And then when you ask for the money, you say, this is what I think I deserve in terms of pay rise. And then you sit back and you can't see it, obviously, on a podcast and you give what I call a poker face. Hello and welcome to the Virtually Confident podcast where you can take away confidence tips to help you succeed in business, in your career and in life. And all of my special guests are experts at having more confidence. Now, my guest today is the founder of We Are The City. She has helped women from all over the world step up and get promoted. And I've spoken at many of her events, but today we're going to be talking about how to speak up in meetings, how to ask for money. And she's also going to be sharing with me when she picked up her OBE, what happened. Vanessa Vallelli, O-B-E, O-M-G, you are my guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Oh my goodness. Here we are. And we're almost in the in the next new normal, abnormal, whatever we're calling the next oh, yeah. phase of our lives. Um, so but we are actually recording this from the comfort of well, you're at home. We're, we're remotely recording uh, recording this. Don't you feel like we're in the same studio though, Vanessa? I think we've just all become accustomed to that, haven't we? You know, and the fact that we're we're on here and we're talking, it's it's become the new normal, hasn't it? Absolutely. And you have been amazing for, you know, on camera, doing conferences, you've done everything and you've managed to kind of pivot perfectly. But I know know really you're a bit of a, you're more of a touchy feely person, aren't you really? I am. I'm I'm missing the physical contact. I did say that to a group of people on a conference call that I just want to touch people and kind of the whole room fell silent, but then I had to explain what I meant, you know. <laughs> so yes, I am a physical person. Just that point of being in the room, just the energy that you get when you're doing that face-to-face networking. I mean, it's been great to use the technology, but I don't think you can't replace that and how that kind of makes you feel to make those connections. So yeah, looking forward to getting back to that at some point. Because my background's broadcasting and I'm used to the whole broadcasting environment and I've been helping people to communicate via, you know, microphones and cameras and stuff like that. But I've got to say, my head is exploding. I haven't got any oxytocin left. Is it oxytocin, you know, the, the hormone where you, you know, where you're with a human contact hormone? I've got none left. So I'm beginning to feel a bit lonely. Oh, bless you. We can definitely talk on here. So for now, this is what we're going to have to do. It's still be virtual, but it's coming, right? It's coming. Absolutely. The thing is, we're, we're talking about confidence today. This is called Virtually Confident, this podcast. So, I mean, are you a natural in front of the camera? Because I know in the past, you've, you've felt quite uncomfortable with the kind of world of recording and, and having microphones and cameras pointing at you. you, you that, that hasn't been your natural habitat, has no, it? No, it's a funny one with me. When you think of kind of what I do for a living, I get up on stages and talk to, you know, hundreds and thousands of people when it comes to like television or anything like that, I, I can't explain it. I just like I say, I'm perfectly okay talking to delivering talks virtually, doing all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes to TV cameras, I just retract. I got, I did do an interview for Sky last year, and I literally had a meltdown <laughs> from the moment I agreed to do it and pushed <laughs> myself out of my comfort zone to when I got it, like anxiety attack. I don't know what it is. It's just TV cameras. This I'm good with. 
you know, and I say great face for radio, um, quite happy to do, you know, virtual talks and stuff, but television, not so much so. I think also with television, it can be quite um, restricting because it, it, everything's a bit final about it. And it's, you know, you have four minutes and it's all yeah. very prescriptive. And you you feel, you feel like any little body language tell, or the, you call it a tell, which is like a tick or something that gives something away, nonverbal leakage. <laughs> you feel like if you're going to do some sort of flick of the hair or some sort of facial expression, it's like... Oh, you've got your it nose. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, you are really televisual. You know, you've got a real, you've got a, a, a larger than life personality that comes across really well on the screen. So I, my tip to you is get out there and get, do it. Get over myself. Get out my own way. Know, it, do you know what, though? I feel the same. And I've worked in television and radio for 20 years. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. I think also there's that fear of, bit, you know, thinking on your feet, speaking on the fly. You know, are you going to get something wrong? Or, or something like that, something that you can't then retract or gets taken the wrong way. You know, there's there's always that fear that kind of comes with, you know, te- live television that you don't have. Perhaps when, you know, you, you, you're doing a talk and you're a little bit more kind of planned. Absolutely. I mean, you, and you are the queen of planning and you plan these massive events with hundreds of people in the room. And I've been at your events. I've spoken at your events and you are the queen of the room in front of, you know, two, I think it was 400 people. One of the events. Flattering me too much. <laughs> <laughs> and you always wear the most amazing shoes and dresses. I miss <laughs> and, that. I and miss that. Dress and those Christian Labritan shoes. I always notice the shoes. <laughs> I do miss that. I must admit, you know, I haven't had any of any of that on for a good year now. I'm kind of dreading putting them on as well, obviously, you know, with the lockdown bulk, as they call it. But, yeah, I do miss that part, the dressing up. And I've still done it, though. On some occasions when I've had to go on a conference call and, you know, I'm doing my selling bit and I need to feel really, really confident. I still like put on like something that reminds me of getting on the train and going up to London. And sometimes, you know, in your pyjamas and your heels, just to feel that that posture, that moment, you know, it, I suppose everyone's different. But for me, it works. I love that. I'm just picturing you in baggy pink um, pyjama pyjamas yeah. with Christian Labritan. Yeah. <laughs> with Christian Labritan stilettos. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> Oh, please do. Now, you you wrote the book Heels of Steel, so I always I always think about you and, and immediately in my mind, just shoes. When we met, when we first met, I think you were holding your shoes in your hand. So you you help women all, all over the world. You help women to succeed in their careers. And one of your pet topics, and I know that you love talking about this, is imposter syndrome or no imposter syndrome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you find that women are still um, coming to you with with comments like, you know, I just don't think I'm good enough and I think I might have imposter syndrome? Do, do you still find that that is a major theme when it comes to women you stepping know, it's into really the Because there's two schools of thought, right? There was an article I saw it the other day floating around that women don't have the imposter syndrome. And there oh, I saw that. Camp, yeah, there are a camp of people that believe that. But if you talk to most women, they would, you know, whether or not they want to liken it to imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, there is... There is a feeling of of being perhaps, you know, trying to aspire to this huge pedestal that we put ourselves on as women and not quite making the grade. You know, there is that feeling of walking into a room and call it lack of confidence, call it what you will, thinking, I don't know as many as much as the people that are in the room. 
or I don't deserve to be here, or how did I get that job by accident? So all of these little questions that we ask ourselves, we could tap back and say, that is the imposter syndrome in its full force. And the thing is, it just doesn't ever go away, right? It's it's something, I mean, it sits on my shoulder, regardless of what I do, or my my definition of achievements, because everyone's is, is different, uh, their measurement of success. But sometimes I still walk in a room and think, oh, I don't deserve to be here for whatever reasons, my own insecurities. You know, when I've been talking to a lot of my rising star winners and my Tech Women 100, one of the things that always comes up on that call is around imposter syndrome. You know, when I say to them, why haven't you shouted about your success of your award? You know, you went through 60 of the industry's top, top judges, thousands of nominations and you won. Why are you not putting it on your LinkedIn? And the thing always comes back, I feel like it's bragging, I feel like it's boasting, I don't want to put myself out there. So it's all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I say to them, it's not bragging, it's not boasting, it's an achievement. And if you don't tell someone about that achievement, or you don't know, or if you feel too uncomfortable, get someone else to do it for you, and then you can just go, oh, thanks, you know, um, how will people ever know that you've achieved, you've achieved this <laughs> magnificent thing? So, yes, I do think it still exists. I personally feel it. I don't think it's a woman versus a man thing. I did a talk to a group of 15 gentlemen um, at a firm last year, just before kind of lockdown happened. And I thought that I was turning up to speak to a load of women. And when I got in there, there was 15 middle-aged white gentlemen. And I thought, how am I here to talk to them about (laughs) building their network, their personal brand and imposter syndrome? So I totally flipped it on its head. I said, look, I'm going to put you in the shoes of women and tell you how you can build, help build their networks. How sometimes if you're trying to give an opportunity to a woman, she may turn you down and the imposter syndrome might be in play. So I kind of flipped the, flipped the narrative a little bit. But afterwards, four of the guys came up to me and said, I felt like that. I felt like an imposter in a room. I never knew there was a name for it. And I'm like, who knew, right? Who knew? Um, but it was refreshing. And it was more also a couple of younger gentlemen at another talk that came up and said the same thing. I felt like that too. So I don't think it's a woman only thing. I think it's something that, you know, we're all wired in the same way. Any human can sometimes feel like, as I say, they haven't achieved that impeccable bar, that unachievable bar that we sometimes set for ourselves. I know. I wonder why we do that. Why, why do we, I mean, because I'm guilty of of wanting to be better, not thinking I'm good enough. I'm definitely guilty of being a bit of a workaholic and not not saying no, you know, saying yeah. yes to too many things and then getting overwhelmed and juggling too much. Why, why do you think we do that? And do you, do you find that that's a, is that a bit of a, a woman in, a, a woman thing, particularly in the, in the professional world, women wanting to achieve more and really pushing themselves? Obviously, I don't want to generalise for all women. I think, you know, every one of us wants to be the best at what we can possibly be and achieve whatever it is that we can within the confines of the other things that we've got to get done. Um, I mean, I'm like you. I can go through periods of being a workaholic. It gets a bit difficult when family things get in the way because you have to kind of make sure that you balance that out. You know, I too say yes to too many things because I get excited by anything to do with progression of women, gender. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm on the train before they've even finished the sentence. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get involved. So you do have to kind of pull yourself back a little bit. But, you know, I, I think we're all guilty of kind of wanting that feeling of whatever we're doing, we're good at. And, you know, sometimes I'm just happy that I've been able to tick a box and achieve the mediocre of, of you know what I need to do but by and large you know I, I like to put give 120% to everything but there are just some things I'm not good at 
that's why I have kind of people around me. Yeah. You know, for example, the other day, one of my team was off and I tried to design an image that I wanted for something we were doing on Canva. I didn't have a clue. I mean, I can't draw for coffee, right? And I certainly, I know what it needs to look like in my mind, but actually being that creative, it's just not me. So in the end, I kind of gave up and it's supposed to be the easiest tool to use to create images. And I was just like, right, that's going out the window. I'll just have to wait till tomorrow. So, you know, sometimes you can't be good at everything and you, again... That put yourself on that pedestal. I need to be absolutely outstanding at everything I do. It's impossible. Absolutely. And I think a really good tip to take away there is just be use your strengths, be really good at your strengths, and then work with people to fill in the gaps that you that absolutely. you haven't got. But it's really hard. But you're running your own operation there. But you've got you've got quite a big team around you now. But you used to run, you know, you used to work in banks and work with massive, massive teams. So what's what's your advice to people that want to run a team or want to run want to step into a leadership role you don't I mean even and I'm talking to small business owners here you don't necessarily need a big team right you just need the right team so I don't despite what we do at we are the city and we are tech women which is incredible things like big conferences big awards but I've got a team of five but they are an exceptionally effective team of five you know I've had teams of of much much bigger than that much more than that that are perhaps not effective as effective as a smaller team where everyone knows, everyone can cover everyone's job, everyone knows what we need to do. We're all on the on the train to kind of get the job done. So sometimes it's not about the size of the team, but the effectiveness of the team. So I would definitely I would definitely say that. And also your place as as a leader within that team, but also as someone that empowers your team to make their own decisions. You know, I trust my team implicitly. They finish my sentences, they know what needs to get done. They they know what we need to do to achieve our objectives. So I don't need to lead in that respect. I come in and I might help shape something, but then you've got to step back and trust your team and empower them to let them deliver it. And who is the Canva maestro in your team? Well, it's Freya <laughs> that runs my social media. Um, Chantelle, she can do a little bit, but none of them were about at that moment where I had the gap to create the image. If I'd have sent it to you, honestly, it looks like something a three-year-old's done. It, it, it looks like something <laughs> put it on a school wall. It was awful. Actually, you could write a blog about it. <laughs> it's about, you know, trying to do something that you're not good at. But it's, at least you gave it a go. I love the idea of you. But do you know like, what it is, Esther? I look back and I was a technologist yeah. for 25 years, right? And I mean, obviously, I'm not in technical roles. I kind of left them a good 20 years ago. But I still class myself as a technologist. So I get very, very frustrated when I can't use technology or I don't understand or I've got to ask one of the kids, how do I set up a link tree on my Instagram? Right. So so for things like that, I just get oh, you know, I can't use certain aspects of the Sky remote. There's too many remotes going on for me to get to where I need to get to. Why is there not just one remote? So I do get frustrated, given my background, that things don't come to me as quick as they should. You know, I, I always get a, a fright when my daughter says things like, oh, you know, people don't use Facebook is only used by older people. You know, and, and all that she can just quickly flip this and flick that. And my son's 10 years old and he knows how to he knows about how to put the Sky remote control onto the Apple TV one and change from Netflix to this to that. Exactly. You know, I don't, he knows more than me. It's awful. So listen, I just want to ask you about the I call it the 80 percent perfect phenomenon where I've decided that. You know, given that there's quite a lot written about the 60% rule where, you know, a bloke is much more likely to go for a job or yeah. is more likely to type up in a meeting if he's only 60% sure. And, we've, and this has been 
written about it for years yeah and when I speak to headhunters they're always like a bloke will 10 blokes will go for a job if they think look 60 percent I'll try it but a woman is much more likely to think I really need to know like 10 out of 10 or I need to know 100% so yeah but I think why don't we all make a pact and say let's all be 80% perfect well what do you do you think that's a good a good little a good starter for the day you know what I went through my whole career being like more like the chaps you know I mean I always talk about punching above my weight for jobs that I didn't work quite sure I think it stems from kind of my background anything I got was a bonus and even when that stopped happening, I still had that mindset. So I would I would go into jobs knowing that fundamentally that I ticked some of the boxes, but some of it I didn't. But I just knew that I was prepared to stick my head in a book because those days I hadn't really discovered the benefits of networking or mentors or anything like that. But I just thought, you know what, I just asked a lot of questions and I'll learn as I go. As long as it's not a fundamental part of the job, e.g. I went to be, you know, a finance officer and I ain't got a clue about numbers. I mean, I wouldn't blag it to that degree. But, you know, there were certain little bits around the periphery. If it was a system that I needed to learn or something like that, then what? Yeah, absolutely. I might say I know a little bit. Not I wouldn't lie. Um, but if I knew a little bit, but not enough to say I was an expert, I'd just get my head down once I got into the job, find who the expert was in the team, go and spend some time with them. And learn. So yeah, absolutely. I think we should so definitely. You're a, you're a good blagger. <laughs> no, no, not blagger. Well, Brilliant. maybe when I was younger. You get into jobs where you can't blag anymore, Esther. That's the thing. You know, you need to know your stuff. Yeah. But I was definitely saying when I was yeah. trying to just grab every single opportunity in my younger days, there were definitely bits that I kind of reached for that I knew I wasn't fully qualified. But saying that, I got the job. So the individual was obviously willing to take an opportunity. Like, take a and a, a kind of look to me and think that I could do that in the first place otherwise I wouldn't have got the job so quite often people say when it comes to speaking up in meetings which is another theme that comes up a lot yeah, in, you know, with you and your network and when I'm working when I'm speaking to a whole you know auditorium full of women and we talk about speaking up in meetings you know similar kind of or you hear similar comments so you've either got the kind of gobby ones I'd probably be in the gobby category I'm not sure about you Vanessa what category you'd be in I, I, I think as I got older in my career I was more not frightened to speak up in meetings the more kind of authority I felt I had in that room the more I got to know the people around the table then I wouldn't pull my punches if if you know if I had an idea or I had something to say I have been in meetings like when I've sat on a couple of boards and stuff where I'm a little bit overwhelmed with who's in the room, imposter syndrome again, and I may be quiet in the first instance because I'm listening and I'm learning to the point where I feel confident enough to speak. One of the things that comes out of a lot of the kind of conversations that I've had with, with women is around, you know, when they have spoken up, they get spoken over, their ideas get taken, and those all those little things create scars, right? So it makes you not want to speak up and stuff like that but I would think that there's something that we can do for each other amongst the sisterhood and that's amplify each other's voices so for example if I've been in a meeting and somebody's trying to articulate another woman or even somebody who's just got a lesser voice in the room doesn't have to be female could be male um, and they're trying to articulate a point and they're not being heard I will kind of use my voice to back them up that is a fantastic idea why don't we all, what was it that you were saying? You know, to clear the way, if you like, for that person to speak. So I think now I'm so acutely aware of it, especially when women are in the room. If I'm not hearing the voice, I'd never put anyone on the spot, but I would kind of encourage them, give them that verbal encouragement and that confidence as they're talking to enable them to think someone's got my back here. Do you know what I mean? I've got a layer of protection over me. 
so that we could try and get a little bit more about their idea, little bit more, and then just that confidence saying, what a fantastic idea, and just backing that person up, you know, because then the next meeting that they walk into, they may feel a little bit more confident in their own skin to talk up. So that's kind of something I would say to everyone, when you're sitting in the meeting room and voices are quiet, regardless of who they are, and they're full of good ideas, how can you, if you're the more confident one, how can you amplify that idea? How do you amplify that voice? And if you are an incredible person with loads of ideas, but you have, but you are a bit shy and you aren't likely to, to pipe up, one of the things that I say is make sure the person who's running the meeting, the chairperson, or, or you have an ally in that meeting Absolutely. that can say, oh, we were talking earlier about your idea and actually get yourself some airtime. So it's about um, asking people to get themselves a gig, you know, get yourself some airtime, get yeah. yourself that space, because you can pre-agree that you're going to have a space to speak. Yeah. Yeah. There was one meeting that I always used to dread because the people in it were the particular tigers. You know, they was just waiting to rip someone's head off. And um, <laughs> so if I had to put something through in that meeting, knowing what it was like, the culture of that meeting, I would go around to a couple of the leadership team and say, I'm going to table this. What do you think? They would immediately, I'd know whether they agree with me or not. And I'm like, you, will you back me up on the meeting? And blah, blah, blah. So when I was in the meeting, I would actually say, I was speaking with this one, this one, and this one about this idea. Already, I feel like I've got a team behind me. I've got the confidence. I've got the team. You know, And don't get me wrong, there was one instance where one of the guys that I did that with acted like we hadn't had a conversation. I, I was cross. And I did pull him after the meeting, you know, because he saw the temperature in the room. They didn't like the idea. They weren't going to go with it. So he backtracked like you wouldn't believe as if he was never nothing to do with the conversation. So you have to be a bit careful with that one. Pick, pick, pick your people, pick your allies. You've actually got a few tips and a few and a bit of advice for men here as well, because men can can help to do this. Men can help to amplify, but without being patronising. How important is that? Do you think so important? You know, male allies, and there are a lot of. I mean, I know a lot of men that were my allies back in my corporate days. So it's not just a men and women thing, but also for them just to listen and say, look for the quietest voices in the room. They often have the greatest ideas you know, and they're not getting airtime. So sometimes just pulling that out, again, I would never want to put an introverted individual on the spot. That's the worst thing that you could do. But if you are a leader, and you know, in that meeting, maybe you touch base with a few of the individuals that are less likely to speak, and ask them about some of their ideas, and then get them, give them the confidence to be comfortable to speak up in that meeting, knowing that you've got their back. I wanted to ask you about speaking up and when it comes to promotion, when it comes to bigging yourself up and when it comes to asking for money. money. And I'd love, I'd love, you know, because a lot of the time, you know, when we were at these women's event, events like your events, we get talking and it's like, oh, no, you know, I don't really ask for money. Just the other day, very good friend of mine, very high up in a bank, working really hard, got juggling family. And then she said, oh, you know, I've been, I've been given the responsibility to take on another project, which is really high profile. And the, my boss was on maternity leave and I came back from mat leave. So I've been given this responsibility. I said, fantastic. And more money then, right? And she went, oh. Oh, it don't ever work like that. I was, hang, on, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What do you mean? Oh, I went, have you had a chat? No, no conversation, nothing. She's like, well, I don't really want to ask. <gasps> do you know what? Like, and this, honestly, Esther, it happens all the time. I can yeah. tell you how many additional projects that I was given when I was back in that back in that world, you know, that were badges of honour 
but not badges of money, um, you know, that you just took on. And you never had that kind of conversation. And I, I was talking to someone else about this, like when you got given your pay rise and they'd be like, and I, I know what it's like, right? I used to get given a pot of money. I had a team of X amount of people. I'd have to distribute that out evenly. You want to give a little bit more to, to you know, your key players, the ones that you don't want to lose, which means you're going to upset someone because there's only a, a, sm- a bucket and invariably it was a small bucket and it's tough. But I've also been in the room where on the end of that conversation where my boss is going, well, we've only got this for you this year. In some of those instances, I was grateful. I was like, oh, thank you so much. You know, I know the share price is down and I really appreciate, it. appreciate you know, this £1,000, which equates to £70 a month for me, that's not even going to put food on the table for a week, you know, but you, kind of, you, know, you were just appreciative. And then I, as I got older and more mature, I never used to walk into that meeting without a business case. So if I was going in there to ask yeah. money, I would have a whole backup of here's what I've delivered, here's where I went above and beyond, here's where I saved the company money. And this is, um, um, I did a talk with a group of PAs, one of them took me really literally, I said, every pound you save that company, I want you to make a note of. Because when you go in for your pay rise, if you've saved the company <laughs> 10 grand because you've been shrewd and you've treated the company's money as your own, you want to say, right, I've saved the company 10 grand, I'd like a percentage of that, please, as a pay rise. Um, and she did. She literally went in with a four-page spreadsheet, every pound. That she'd <laughs> but you know what? He gave her the pay rise that she wanted. How much did she save? I think it was. Uh, she saved about ten grand, and I think he gave her about three three grand pay rise, which wasn't too bad, you know. But at the end of the day, it's if, if you're going amazing and you're asking for money, having do do some prep work. And I had a call with one of my mentees about the same topic last week. You know, do your prep work. What was you given? Where did you go above and beyond? What situations did you hit where you made a different decision that had a more better outcome or a more positive impact? And so take, be armed with your stories before you go in there. And then when you ask for the money, you say, this is what I think I deserve in terms of pay rise. And then you sit back and you can't see it, obviously, on a podcast, and you give what I call a poker face. You literally put your money on the table <laughs> with cards and you sit back and you say nothing, not a word. You leave it in their court. It gets uncomfortable. There is an uncomfortable silence, but you cannot crack, right, until that person obviously then starts to have the conversation back with you. And it may be that you negotiate or whatever. And I get it. You get given a big project. It's high profile. The money comes second because you know this could lead you somewhere else and stuff like that. But invariably, your companies are making millions of pounds, right, for some of you. So you deserve to get paid what you deserve to get paid. And and again, I just think sometimes we just need to be a little braver and, and proposition that. But I also agree with the point that and again, not to generalise for all women, but it's well documented that women are uncomfortable around money. We don't like talking money. Yeah, when I when I have um, encouraged people to talk about money and there it is on the table, lay your cards on the table. In other words, do mention the money. Do yeah, mention the amount. Them. But again, but back it up with a business case. That's where the test yeah. are, you know. Yeah. Back it up, you know, so that you go in there, you present it. It's like a sale. That's what it is. You're selling what you've achieved and what you've done and the value that you've brought for that company, you know, and then you just leave it there. Absolutely. Uh, the only time I've really properly asked for money, and I, I don't think I ever would have asked for money if I hadn't had a mentor or a coach. So the first time I asked for, for a pay rise, it was actually my colleague who was leaving the job and he was a, a, a guy. And he said, go in there and ask for double 
what you're on. And I was like, I can't do that at the time because I was literally leaping from this level to this level, which, as you know, is very difficult for the big bosses to 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 ever um, green light anything like that. But at the time, I just remember him saying, just go in there and say, look, really, I should get double what I'm on because what I'm on is way down here. I'm already doing this job and this job. And now now you're expecting me to take over from this. So it was like going for, it's almost like leaping for, it was only, it was a production company. Um, If I was on the other side of that table, Esther, I would ask you why. Yeah, exactly. Why? Exactly. You've got to think about in that conversation what yeah. person on the other side is going to ask you and that you're prepared, you almost have like, they're like arrows in your armory, you know, that you've just got that answer straight Absolutely. off the bat. Because if you sit there and you're silent and you can't answer the why question, then they're just going to give you whatever they give you. Absolutely. And then recently when I, since I, when I had a business coach, when I start, first started running my business and she was coaching me on how to ask for money, I mean, I, if I hadn't had the help, I just don't think I would have ever asked for any money. <laughs> like, in order to do what we do at We Are The City and We Are Tech Women, we rely on sponsorship. So I yeah. have money conversations all the time. And I'm still, I think it's my nature. I understand the way the budgets work. I know that sometimes the, where I'm pitching, there isn't an abundance of money and stuff like that. So I do sometimes, you know, we get into kind of market trader, you know, free for one and stuff like that. You do get into those negotiation <laughs> tactics. But, you know, any good person on negotiation will tell you, you know, you can go high, you know where you, know where you want to achieve, right? And you may dance a little bit around yeah. the number, but... Ultimately, also when you're when you're not earning the money that you feel you should be earning, I suppose there's an I always felt that element of not resentment, but you know, there was always this bit of taste in my mouth that, you know, that I was doing all this hard work, I was putting in all the hours, you know, doing stuff at weekends and I just wasn't getting paid what I should be getting paid. You can't get rid of that. It's about self-worth. I think if you come from a background of no money, which is kind of my background, and then yeah. you get a bit of money and you get good, well-paid jobs and stuff like that, you know, you live the life of Riley when you've got no responsibilities <laughs> and you can afford a couple of hundred quid on a bag, if not more, and stupidly expensive shoes. And then you get a little bit older and you realise that actually those things are not what's important in life whatsoever. You know, it, at the end of the day, as long as the shoes that you're wearing protect you from the outside when you walk on the ground and the coat you've got on that keeps you warm, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. There are far richer things in life, you know, without without getting kind of too tree huggy on you. But, you know, walking in the open <laughs> fields, playing with your dogs, just the scent of the air in the mornings, you know, there are far things that are measures of success as opposed to financial things. You couldn't put a figure like I couldn't sit here and said I would class myself successful if I was earning 250 grand a year. That would be my measurement of success. For me personally, it doesn't work like that. But I think as you go up the food chain in in the world of work, you do attribute success to salary bands, right? And how much you earn because it's those salary bands that buy your house, that give you the security of your pensions and your health care and all the other trimmings that go with it. So I kind of get it. And I say, from my perspective, it's just knowing that you're paid for the job that you go to do. And there isn't a massive step difference between you and the gent sitting next to you. So listen, I you've got loads and loads of tips. And, and for, for me to ask you, what are your biggest tips for women who are brilliant? They're so brilliant, but, you know, they might hide themselves a bit. They're not sharing themselves as much as they could. What are your biggest beautifulest (laughs) tips today I'd say you know sometimes you have to get out your own way that would is what I would say have a little bit more confidence you've never got your jobs by accident you never got to where you are 
you know, because someone picked your name out of a hat, you know, you've worked for it. And sometimes we're quite bad. And again, not generalizing for everyone, but we're quite bad actually sitting down and thinking about the things we have achieved in life. If someone else was repeating your story back to you, you'd probably go, wow, that's amazing. Yet we just, we're our own worst critic and we never hear, you know, some of the good stuff that we should be hearing about ourselves. So my biggest tip would be just take just some time out just to think about how far you've come and the things that you've achieved, you know, and the things that you want to go out to do and just think, okay, so what happens if I just did speak up a little bit more? What happens if I did put something in LinkedIn that's about me without fear of being judged? What happened if I asked someone who I know well and I feel comfortable with to amplify a message for me? You know, what if? So that's just ask yourself some of those questions and do something about it. That's the thing. We procrastinate, you know, we'll be going on for months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I must get round to that. Updating my yeah, LinkedIn and, exactly. and saying I won an award. Get out there and do speak up, but actually action where you are going to, whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's an event or you're going to start something. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always saying create something like be part of the women's network or get yourself a slot or start a group yeah. or make sure you, you're leading a meeting or you're doing a best practice virtual workshop or something. Just get out there and do something where you can demonstrate your brilliance. That's my Lovely. biggest thing. I want to finish on an image, okay, and an image and a little story. I'd love, I just want you to tell me the story of the, the when you wore that hat, when you got your OBE and you posted pictures of your amazing hat. Um, what was it like? <laughs> oh, that, that was it. That the whole day was incredible because um, I got to take my family to Buckingham Palace and I'd never been. It was on my list of 40 things to do before I was 40 and I'd never kind of got there. Just Just going in there, just dressing up, just having that recognition, I think, for... The, the years of work for women was was incredible and the doors that opens up for me to do more um, and I've paid that forward I've done about five or six nominations into the cabinet office for other people's honours because I think you know when you're blessed like that you should definitely pay that forward but yeah that was that was very much a magical moment and I remember as we went in a friend of mine's got a chauffeur company so they gave us a Rolls Royce for the day as a gift which was amazing <laughs> And we went through the gates in this Rolls Royce and all the tourists are standing outside. And my kids, obviously teenagers, they were mortified. They were like heads down underneath, like in the footwells almost. And I was doing a royal wave. Um, I had had a few glasses of champagne at this point, so I was probably overly confident. But I was doing this royal wave and everyone's taking pictures. It was a moment, Esther. It's one of those, you know, they say when you go, you have a flicker book of different life events and stuff like that. There, There's a... There is definitely a picture in there of me waving to a crowd of public, them thinking I'm someone famous and me feeling like someone famous. So yeah, an absolutely magical, magical moment and wonderful to see the look on my parents' faces. You know, who'd have thought it? That girl that just constantly got in trouble in school, that kind of left with no exams to speak of, that was permanently in one state of drama to the next in my 20s. You know, she done good in the end. I love that and the hat with all the feathers it was just it was I love that hat so much thank you so much for for doing this podcast with me and thank you for writing the foreword for my book Goodbye Glossophobia publicly I'm thanking you now I mean that book goes out all my mentees you know all my award winners had a copy of your book which they love you know and it's led to other people saying oh I'd love to connect with Esther so yeah I absolutely love it love your book 
When's the next one? You no, know, we've all got an ebook. How to get your dream promotion. All you want on my ebook is <laughs> how to get your dream promotion. And it's all about networking and it, all, all the things that we talk about every day. Don't be quiet about your talent. Don't be afraid to share yourself. Don't be afraid to help others get their voice heard Absolutely. as well. And I, I think your, the theme of what you do is amazing because actually a lot of what you're doing is helping others to realise their talent rather than just, just, you're not bigging yourself up. I mean, you don't big yourself up enough. You, you, you're bigging everyone else up all my the time. My pleasure comes out of watching others. I had my moments, Esther, back in my day, you know, of those moments now. But my biggest pleasure is watching members of our community, whether they're my award winners or community of, of We Are The City or We Are Tech Women, when they achieve things, I get an immense sense of pride. So there's so many of them now. I can, you know, my buttons ding every single day, you know, just watching them flourish. So, yeah, it's incredible. Thank you for listening to the Virtually Confident Podcast. This podcast has been produced and recorded by Chatterbox Voices and Alchemy Post. It's also been sponsored by the Speak Like a She-Boss Challenge. Check it out at www.estherstanhope.com.